So the Olympics are coming up, I'm told, and uh, I, for one, am of the strong opinion that we should always and everywhere, at every Olympic event, have a lottery and pull one random person out of the crowd to compete against whoever is performing, right? Because I think we really get lost when we're just watching a field of master athletes. When you see everyone run down the track and complete a 100-meter dash in like 9 to 10 seconds, it's really easy to be like, yeah, I could do that. Okay, easy. Let me just get these potato chips off my stomach and I'll, I'll be right up there running with it. Right, because I think it would be amazing to see the best of the best with the truly mediocre. Right, because that would be amazing. It would be fun. First of all, someone could be like, I competed in the Olympics. And they'd be like, really? You look kind of obese there, Mark, but anyway. You know what I mean? Like, back in my prime. No, but we would have a visual representation of what's actually happening. We would have everybody who thinks they're an athlete against the best of the best. Now, what I want to focus on today is that stark, drastic difference between the best of the best and that stupid, bumbling sacks of flesh known as humanity, us. Now, you may have thought that I was going to say we are the pinnacle of creation. Nay, nay. <laughs> that would be the angels. When we look at creation, we first have to admit that there are things you cannot see that exist. If you have problems with that, there are many scientific textbooks which I will direct you towards. But if we admit that there are things that I cannot see, such as gravity, but they still exist regardless of whether I see them or not, then we have come to common understanding that out of all of creation, there are things created that I can see and touch and feel, and there are things that are created that are no less real, but have no physical form. Okay? So that is where the angels fall in the hierarchy of existence of creation. They exist, but we cannot see them. But they are sinless, perfect, close to godlike creatures. They are great and terrifying looking. They are said to be horrific only because their glory makes us realize our human frailty. Now, let me quickly, hopefully quickly, teach you something about the angels. There are nine choirs of angels, nine different classifications of angels, and I'm about to go through all of them and tell you what they do. So, let's begin. Seraphim. You have heard of these. You think seraphim and, finish the sentence, seraphim and? Wrong. You said cherubim. It's cherubim. Does it matter? Well, phonetically, yes, but... <laughs> When we're, distincting, or we're making distinction between the angels, you are used to phonetically just saying cherubim and seraphim. It is only the seraphim. They are the ones that constantly sit around the throne of God and sing his praises. The ones we heard about in the first reading today from the prophet Isaiah where he says, I looked and saw the throne of God and around it were angels singing, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts. Now, what does that sound like? Anybody? The parts of the Mass that we ourselves say, holy, 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 sanctus, sanctus, sanctus? Yes, that is where we get that from, in case you were wondering. We didn't make it up. We take the speech of angels. Literally. All right, so anyway, that's only the first uh, choir of angels. The second are called, as I have delineated terrifically too far, the cherubim, as you have heard. All right, their name means fullness of wisdom, and they contemplate God's providence. They are also assigned to protect special places. 
The third choir of angels is called the thrones, not chairs, but angels. They are called the thrones because they represent the steadfastness of the love of God. They contemplate God's power and judgment, and they appear most unlike the other angels when revealed to humanity. Now, as I said, they are around the throne of God, and the thrones, cherubim, and seraphim never leave the presence of God. They are always just around him. Now, that brings us to the second tier of angels, and the fourth classification, known as dominions. These are pretty much your regional managers of the angel world, for they take information from the higher choirs, the cherubim, seraphim, and thrones, and they interpret it and give it down to the lower choirs of angels below them. They also illuminate and govern the universe. Um, right, so that's section number four. Section number five are known as the virtues. Now, this is not like vice and virtues, but a classification of angels known as virtues. They run the operation of the movement of the universe. They are often associated with planets, elements, seasons, and nature. And these are the ones in charge of running the things of the universe. Lastly, in this second classification, so we've had the seraphim, cherubim, and thrones. Now we have the powers, dominions, and... Sorry, powers is last. We have the dominions the virtues, and the powers. The powers assist in governing the natural order. They are also the warrior angels tasked with fighting the war against the demonic choir of demons. And these, I'm sorry, those are the three, those are the angels we hear about when we hear Michael and his heavenly host fought against Satan and his host. Those are the angels that fought. Now, those have been the top three and the middle three. Now we get to the last three. The last three, uh, choir number seven, is known as the Principalities. These are the princes of the lowest triad assigned to the care and guardian of communities, kingdoms, states, and parishes. Did you know, for example, that each parish has its own guardian angel? Did you also know that each diocese has its own guardian angel? And actually, every household has their own guardian angel. So get to praying to them because they have been protecting your families for years without you knowing it. Every family, every diocese, every church has their own guardian angel for protection. Now, the eighth choir of angels are more commonly known as the archangels, the ones we hear about in scripture. Michael, Gabriel, Raphael. These are the only three names of angels that we know of at all. If they are not revealed in scripture... They do not belong in our Catholic tradition as named archangels. Now, you will hear people try and tell you there are seven archangels found in Scripture. This is, in fact, a lie. There are three. Three archangels named in Scripture. So, if you go up to Richmond, to one of our diocesan parishes, and you look at their stained glass windows and see Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, and Uriel, you can go ahead and tell them they're heretics. I sure have. But then they told me, shut up, seminarian Dan. We don't care what you think. So, this was many years ago. But anyway, the archangels. Now, the last choir of angels is what you have commonly and always ever referred to as the angels. That is their name. And their name is their vocation. Angel means messenger. So, these are the messengers that are constantly tasked with interacting with humanity. All nine of the choirs are found in scripture, and you will hear me mention five of them by name during the preface when we prepare the altar for the Eucharist. Now, the dumbest angel is trillions of times smarter than the brightest human that will ever live. 
As I said, they function in a way akin to God. They do not know the future, but they can predict, based on human patterns of behavior and past dealings with sin or virtue, which way people are most likely going to act. This is how we get the notion of a guardian angel. One, does not, one that does not know the future, but knows you personally so well that they can predict with some certainty what you might be choosing, especially as you near towards an occasion of sin. And when you near towards an occasion of sin, they will always offer to navigate you successfully away from it. Now, finally, the last fact about angels for the day. All of the demons that exist came from angels. All of the angels and all of the demons that will ever exist were created at the exact same moment of creation. After the moment in which all angels and all demons were ever created, they were only angels at first, they were given a choice. Now, we are given the same choice to either choose to be with God forever or not. But our choice is shrouded in doubt and mystery, for we do not see God face to face. But the angels, when they were created, saw God in all of his glory and knew exactly what they were either choosing or rejecting. It's like they had the answers to the test in front of them and still chose to fail. So, why did they choose against God? As I have said, the lowest angel is trillions of time, times more beautiful and better made than the best human. And yet, they are jealous of us. They are jealous of us for one reason. The reason is that humanity is the only creation that the God of the universe has allowed to consume his flesh and slake their eternal thirst with his blood. And for that reason alone, every angel and every demon will always be jealous of humanity. For this is what caused the angels to fall. They could not believe that the Lord would choose to dwell in something as vile as humanity. Some looked at humanity with awe and reverence for God's chosen plan, and others looked on in anger and became demons. The first reading describes the appearance of the seraphim, those who never leave the presence of God nor cease singing his praises. The psalm then goes on to tell us what our relationship will be in heaven when we, with the angels, constantly echo their praise of God and his goodness. As we all sang, I will sing your praises in the sight of the angels, it says. The second reading in the gospel give us a good account of humanity and our relationship to the divine. Peter, through his actions and words in the gospel, and Paul in the epistle, show the fallen state of human nature as well as the sublime nature of God's mercy. St. Paul says, quote, I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be in their company, because. Now he says he was a murderer of Christians, but we can put whatever we want to finish that phrase, really. I am unfit to be called a Christian because, insert your favorite sin here. I am unfit to be called a Christian because of my anger, because of my lust, because of my jealousy, because of my sloth, because of any one of the seven deadly sins, or any one of the minor ones. None of us are fit to be called Christians. On our own, we simply do not deserve it. Now this knowledge of undeserved rejection, or I'm sorry, completely reserved dejection, can cause hopelessness. 
For we on our own are impossible. For we on our own, salvation is truly impossible. And because we do not deserve the Lord's mercy and goodness, this is why Peter responds the way he does. He says, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. At times, it is proper for us to kneel at the feet of Jesus and say this prayer, Depart from me, Lord, for I am sinful. Many of the psalms are psalms of lament at the sinfulness of the author. Depart from me, Lord, for I am sinful. As I said, this is proper at times. But other times, we need to stand with St. Paul and take his approach. St. Paul says that the Lord's grace has not been ineffective, despite his best efforts. What he actually says is, quote, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace has not been ineffective. But let me translate. Paul says, I am what I am, for God has seen fit to deal with me in his perfect justice and mercy, not giving me what I truly deserve, but giving me what I do not deserve. I may not be the best person that has ever walked the earth, but I am certainly not the worst. Now, both the response of Peter and the response of Paul are correct in different times of life. It does not matter what condition we are in when we approach the Lord or how miserable we may feel. The Lord's response to Peter is his response to us every day. Do not be afraid. These same words are the words offered in Scripture whenever an angel interacts with humanity. Do not be afraid. And we should not be afraid. If the Lord chooses to send angels to appear to us, we should not be afraid. If he finds favor with us for whatever reason he wants, we should not be afraid. We should not be afraid since the Lord has chosen to make his heart rest in our own. For if the Lord has thought of us enough to choose to dwell in us, then maybe our self-confidence in God's love should be higher. By God's grace, we become that person called out of the stands to compete against the Olympic athletes. But instead of showing how truly terrible we are, God's grace makes us victors in everything, even victors over death. In the frailty of the human condition, let us not go forth from here today worried what the world may throw at us this week. For we have angels to protect us, and the Lord directing us to courage. Whatever you do this week, do not be afraid, for the Lord has found favor with you.